Radio. Jesus and Begora, it is good to see you, fellas. It's I, St. Patrick himself, come down to talk to you today before you start your little movie thing. Oh, wow, long dead guest, St. Patrick. Yeah, I, I didn't even know you were real. I always thought you were like a myth. No, me laddie, I'm not a myth. I'm a real person. You can see me. I mean, I'm not a person anymore. I'm a ghost, but... You boys watched an Irish movie last week, I take it. You saw one of me favorites, didn't you? We sure did, and this week it was a Scottish movie. Oh, you can't be watching movies about Scotsmen. They're the devil's own. They're Protestant, don't you know? Oh. Yes, they're teetotaling and they hate popery. And we don't like them very much in Ireland. No, that's why we left them in Scotland, you see. We made them go there. Then the English can deal with them. (laughs) You scoundrel, St. Patrick. So why I'm here is that uh, you saw one of my favorite movies last week, The Commitments, because we get all the movies in heaven. I don't know if you've talked to anyone else from up there, but we get all the movies in Republican people. Oh, Republican heaven. Oh, shit. Yes. Okay, so that's real. Jimmy yes. Stewart wasn't uh, well, on our leg. He's right, but it's actually kind of, a, it's it's two Republican heavens to see. There's like, a, there's like an American Republican heaven, which is maybe not the place you want to go. But then there's Irish Republican heaven. We just drink and we sing and, and we worship and we love. And that's what we do over there. But Republican heaven's been making some strong overtures towards our territory. And all he tells you, it's not real good. Yeah, J- Jason is sitting there just in awe over this. Well, I just, I, I, I was I was amazed when Jimmy Stewart told us that there was Republican heaven. But now I'm really trying to process that there's two Republican heavens. <laughs> completely different. Yes, it's very completely different. Uh, you, 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 there's a lot of political tensions going on right now. I can't get into it too much. But the big man, the big man's working on it. But you know, you you can't ever really tell what he's thinking, can you? He doesn't no. like to talk about it. But I, I'm sure he'll figure it out. I've got faith, my son. Uh, so I'm glad you watched the commitments. It's big in Republican heaven, the good Republican heaven. I don't know what it's like in bad Republican heaven. They're a bunch of fucks. Um, and this week you're watching a movie about the Scots. But the main reason I'm here, boys, is I want to tell you, you got to lay it off. I'm not, I, I, I didn't have nothing to do with snakes in Ireland. There's never been a fucking snake in Ireland. Not once. Ever. 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 And I don't want to hear another fucking word about it. It's really pissing me off. It's been pissing me off for a thousand fucking years. There's never been a snake in Ireland. I don't know how I, St. Patrick, who did a multitude of wonderful things that I'm not going to get into right now because there's just too many to talk about, has been a, a, given this mantle. So uh, through your podcast and all 15 people who listen, I want you all to know that I had nothing to do with any snakes because there has never been a single snake in Ireland. We, we understand that? J- Jason, Jason, you yeah. might want to delete that scheduled post. Mm, yeah, I was. Yeah, I'll, I'll get rid of that. I had a whole history of the snakes of Ireland, and yeah, you did, you did, you had a history. Did you? you didn't have a history because it didn't fucking happen, did it? I'm, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, St. Patrick. I didn't mean to offend you. Uh, you are damn right, you offended me. Oh, anyways, where? Why, why was I here? The snakes? Yeah. Okay, so the snake thing has been figured out. Are we, are we, are we clear? Yeah, we're clear. We're clear. Yeah, 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 we're clear. We're clear. Good, 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 good. Now uh, enjoy this week's film, even though it was made by Devil Scots. Uh, and they're probably cutting themselves all up, which is, you know, it's dessert. Um, and uh, I bid you adieu. I say God bless. And uh, wish me luck in Republican heaven because things are getting dicey. Get back. <laughs>
I wonder who, now which one of the Republican heavens do you think manufactures all these jetpacks? I, I think it's an independent council, actually. You think there's like a like a third there's like a third column that just is a jetpack manufacturing corporation? It's like a neutral territory. Yes. Hmm. Well, we'll add that to the canon. Put that in the wiki. <laughs> Guys, add that to the for screen and country wiki. <laughs> you know what? If there's ever a for screen and country wiki, I'll know we've made it. That's right. That, yeah, that's right. If we have a wiki of our own canon, that'll be wonderful. You, you, you I would love to be able that. to refer back to it. <laughs> oh my god, it'd be amazing. Guys, make a wiki now. It's my classic British Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Guys, this is a podcast. This is a podcast oh, is. that doesn't have a wiki yet, um, but it's called For Screen and Country. And I'm Brendan. Jason. That's Jason. Hi. And I'm Brendan. And he's Brendan. And on this podcast, we take a look at the BFI Top 100. That's the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time. This list was devised in the year of Jason's Lord of 1999. That's correct. Uh, We are, I think this is our 71st movie we're talking about on this list. So every week we talk about a movie on the list. We break it down. We, we, you know, we talk shit. We, sometimes we barely talk about the movie for minutes on end. Um, we never comes naturally to us, and you, the listener, can like it or not. And and to be honest, we actually do care. We 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 care. I mean, we do. We hope, yeah, we hope you like it. Terribly sensitive people. Yeah, we're very um, sensitive. Please please don't hate us. But I don't want anybody who's not a fan to know that. So if you don't like this podcast, fuck you. And if you do like this podcast, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We love you. I thought you were just gonna say fuck you again. Sometimes I can be real and tender. You have that anarchist bone in your body there, just waiting. Right. Storm the Capitol! No. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get us on a list, Brendan? Because that's how you get on a list, Brendan. <laughs> Canceled and arrested. All right, Jason, we are going to talk about a movie, though, this week, as we always do. But before we get to this week's film, we need to read some comments about last week's rollicking good time, The Commitments. That's right, Brendan, from another time and date. It is time to read some comments. Wow, you in the past has such foresight. Right? Yeah, I'm amazed. Baby, I'm amazed at my past self knowing what to do. Baby, I'm amazed at the way I love you. (laughs) Baby, I'm amazed. Baby, I'm a lot of things. Am I saying baby, I'm amazed? Uh, I think I think, so, I, think yeah. I fucked up. Yeah, maybe I'm amazed, but the point is, is you're you're saying you love this person because of the things you do. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's an interesting I'm amazed window. at the way I love me all the time. Yes, uh, you're, you're sort of doing like a Limp Bizkit take on it. Like, <laughs> Wait, who the fuck is Limp Bizkit? Limp, limp. <laughs> sorry, excuse my lack of enunciation. <laughs> I limp. Thought, I was really hoping that like it was like a biz, a business savvy kid with like a fancy limb, like a, like a cool arm or something. <laughs> like like so we just so we just name people after the things they are. <laughs> yeah, and that's Lynn why Biz you're kid, yeah. and that's why you're red shirt McBaldy. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna read some comments about last week's film, and we're gonna commit to this, Jason, because uh, it's uh, eat, pray, love. Oh no, yeah, I don't remember that. Did you not watch it? Mm. I don't remember doing an episode about it. You know what? We'll just do the commitments because I think Eat, Pray, Love was an episode I actually recorded with your Daniel Day-Lewis uh, uh, performance version of you. You're cheating on me with him? I mean, Nathan was an arrangement, but... I mean, he's a good podcaster. Nathan was an arrangement. Nathan yeah. came first, you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, I think I knew you before Nathan, didn't I? 
Yes. So, technically... All right, I'll let you fight it out, girl. I let you start a podcast with him, and then I let you start a podcast <laughs> <Bless> with me. <laughs> We're gonna get into the comments about the commitments we got because this is Jason. I'm just gonna yeah. say right now, um, the most comments we've ever gotten blows my mind. Uh, the most, yeah, this was like the most popular movie according to you know, people online that we've done so far. I'd, I'd heard for years that it was a cult movie and, and people were excited about it when it came out on DVD, but I didn't realize to this level. Like, uh, mm. But it's not surprising to me because people fucking love musicals. They do. Yeah, especially ones with groovy music. Well, our first comment comes from Matthew P. Eels, and he says, I love, love, love this movie. Ooh, he's the opposite of Roger Ebert. <laughs> yeah, it, Roger Ebert's love, 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 love this movie, not as interesting. <laughs> Um, he said, it's a little frustrated that no decent Blu-ray of it exists. It will occasionally pop up on one of my streaming services, so I try to catch it when I can. It, it put Glenn Hansard in a minor place on my radar, so that when I saw the Marvelous film once, I was probably more receptive to it than I otherwise might have been. I'm always delighted when I see the somewhat obscure cast pop up in other things like Pulp Fiction and Star Wars. Much like the band in the film, it seems the cast was a flash in the pan, lightning in a bottle, once-in-a-lifetime experience together that didn't quite do the same thing as separate components. Yeah, it's funny how some movies end up like that, where the movie itself is such a classic and you love it, but nobody in it goes on to, like, massive success. And I'm sure I'm sure a lot of them are working actors and are doing fine, but it's, yeah, it's funny there's no breakouts in a situation like that. So much so that when we went to watch this movie, I was convinced that they didn't hire actors. Yeah. I mean, some of them are not. Some of them are just, like, singers, local yeah. singers that they – just singers. Fucking singing. Fucking singers. What's that? They should be doing podcasts like real people. <laughs> right. Podcasts and beer. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I thought, like, most of them were just local singers that had no acting experience at all. And we found out, of course, like, some of them did. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's crazy. You look at that cast, and who's the – the only name I know for sure is Cole Meaty. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Calms the one guy, Chief yeah. O'Brien. And there's a girl. In, there's, there's a girl in that, like the the girl that ends up with the main character at the end, and she she's super familiar, and I've seen her in other stuff. The one with the short hair. The one that hooks up with um, Jimmy at the end. The one who first hooks up with Joey the Lips. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not the short hair one. The other oh. one, but not the blonde one. Okay. You got it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, okay. All right. Next comment, Brendan. Listen, listen to it the way we talk about women on the show. <laughs> Look, we try to be progressive, but we're also uh, old and stupid. Cavemen. So feel free to correct us when we're shitty. We would expect that. Uh, let's see. Our next comment, friends, is from Pete Feldman. Corey's dad. Pete writes in, and I'm sure he's gotten that his entire life, so let's just add another one to the pile, Brendan. <laughs> I forgot for a second these were, like, listeners. These are real people, Brendan. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to start roasting people. You're just going to roast them. In every way, they, and like I say, I'm sure he's heard it a million times. Sorry, Pete. Uh, but Pete says for a short time after its release, the cast toured, uh, as a real band with the actor who was the manager as the lead singer. That doesn't make any sense. Saw them in a small club in Florida. <laughs> there you go. Florida. Yeah, sure. How's Florida, Pete? Let us know. Florida man. Yeah. Are you the actual Florida man? <laughs> oh, I hope not. Pete, I want to like I you. I would but... like to know that somebody famous like the Florida man listened to our uh, podcast. <laughs> Actually, if we wanted, if Pete does live in Florida, we could probably look up his criminal record. Oh, can we? Oh, yeah, because they've got these open, these sunshine laws that everything's transparent. That's why we. That's why you always hear about such crazy shit from Florida. It's because their court system is so open. So we get to see all the dumb shit that happens everywhere, but we don't see it here because it's not nearly as as open. You can't just go get that shit. You- Pete, Pete, stay tuned because at the end of this episode, we're gonna we're just gonna read your transcripts. <laughs> so we're just gonna go through your criminal record from start to finish. <laughs> uh, Ryan Sirodi says. One of my favorite films. I love the Barrytown trilogy. 
the music is insanely good. Andrew Strong's voice is nothing short of amazing. It's heartfelt and funny as hell. A lot of the musicians that are in this had very solid and amazing music careers. Glenn Hansard, The Coors. Uh, Phelan Gorney did work with Springsteen. This is a must-watch and must-own. Yeah, all the members of The Coors are in the movie, but like in various like little t- tiny supporting roles. I just was. I just realized we're missing out on an opportunity here. Why don't we have a DVD warehouse so we can sell DVDs to our fans? Um, he says everybody should own it. So what if all of our fans bought the commitments on DVD and we got a piece? Send us an email at for screen and country at gmail dot com. I guess the, our question to you folks is: If we were Amazon, would you? <laughs> I promise you, I'm only a trillionaire. <laughs> But I, but please follow my Indiegogo page. So, send us an email. We'll burn off a bootleg DVD and mail it to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our old friend, Elon Allen. And I'm saying it Elon now. I, he hasn't confirmed it yet, but I believe it is pronounced Elon. Okay. Elon Allen says, as one of your Irish correspondents. Oh, that, is, that means I, he actually is Irish. Well, yeah. That explains Elon. Um, excuse me, Elon, and uh, forgive me. As uh, one of your Irish correspondents, I should have plenty to say. But my elder brother loved it to an extreme degree, with constantly quoting parts of it to this day that irritates me. So a very positive review, which leads me to not seeing it. Enjoy the other two films in the Barrytown trilogy, though. I'm sorry, Elon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Trust me, I love the Irish. You know that. You know I love the Irish, and I want nothing more to visit. I would say it's above Richard Gere and the Jackal, though. Okay, well, that's good. As long as I'm not to that level. <laughs> Sean Connery and Darby O'Gill and the Little People. <laughs> flawless <laughs> accent. Flawless. Um, okay, I just watched that not that long ago. Look, another <laughs> another comment, all-star, Andrew Littlefield. Andrew Brandon, Littlefield. you want to take this? Yeah, so Andrew Littlefield says, I'm really torn on this film. On the one hand, I love the look of the film, the fun characters, and the overall story, but I'm a huge fan of classic soul singers like James Brown and Aretha Franklin, and hearing them butcher those songs in lame copycat versions is painful to me. Yeah. I understand that, but still, it's good. You know, they're they're, they're good versions of those songs. But yeah. yeah, when you're used to hearing uh, Aretha Franklin, you know, amazing. It, it is hard to hear uh, a copycat version, a cover version, if you will. That's like that's like the first time I heard that song. Um, I think it's I think okay, I think it's Riders on the Storm by mm. the Doors. I love that song. Yes, but then the remix played See, one day. I, I love that. No, but I didn't know it was the remix. Oh. So as soon as it starts, like. <laughs> Like a dog without a bone. Right as well. Wow. But the put I was like, what the fuck is this? Why is Snoop in this song? <laughs> That's the menu music, by the way, of Need for Speed Underground 2. And you oh, can just really? leave that on in the background. It's I, I was just like this, no, I don't like it. I don't like this. And that's actually when I first, that's, that was my introduction to remixes. Mm. And that's why I hate them. Like, I hate most of them because it's always just like a tease for an introduction for a great song. Yeah. And then they're just like, and I don't like it. Although, just to address Andrew for a sec, Andrew, is it possible that, that you know, I, I see what you're saying. And, and is it because this is like a late example of that thing in the 50s where rock music only became popular because they had to filter it through white people? Like the, like the idea of black people getting on the radio and getting airplay, was that maybe an issue? Uh, the idea of black people as a main character cast in a, an Irish movie back then, they didn't think it would sell. I don't know that they were actually thinking about that because this is a very small independent movie and I'm sure their cast was a, a combination of availability and budget. Mm. Um, 
But like, they, but they, that is, but that is a, that is a good point, a, though. And and if you look back through the history of film, and, and I thought was thinking about this, you know, in the last few years, just thinking it back to my own childhood and everything, and like the idea of of me as a white person seeing a movie that uh, involves other cultures, but then having that white person as the bridge, I guess. It's like when you watch Pocahontas, you're supposed to relate to John Smith because you're the white kid. Well, and, he's played by a good human, yeah, too. Yeah, obviously. Uh, but, you know, and, and, but I, as I've gotten older, I realized, no, you don't need that. You really don't need that. Yeah. I, th- I think most humans have universal experiences and they can relate. Just because a person's culture, skin color is different, there are going to be similar experiences because we're all humans. We all go through that shit. We don't need to have a fucking white Sherpa there to lead us into it as white people. Well, and I that's... said white people too many times. I swear this is not an anti-Semitic podcast. Listen, or... anti-Semitic? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they, they would say white people a lot anti-Semites. Oh. I guess I'm, we're, we're certainly not a racist podcast, well, at least not intentionally. Our next comment comes from... Uh... Tom Brokenbrow. What does Tom Brokenbrow say? Brokenbrow? Brokenbrow. I like that. Brokenbrow. Tom Brokenbrow says, really enjoyed it at the time. Haven't seen it in some years, so I can't recall if there are any problematic things in the movie that were not an issue 30 years ago. Well, maybe I'm a white guy saying I'm black and I'm proud, perhaps. <laughs> Which is kind of funny, but also like... Ugh. It's also treated like a moment that where the kid is like, what? Yeah, exactly. The kid's just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Funny thing is, a Facebook friend posed a question yesterday on the best movie soundtracks, and this was one of my suggestions. Odd that it's come up twice in two days after not thinking about it for a long time. That is the Bader-Meinhof effect, my friend. Look it up. Look it up! Uh, Sharon Horwat, regular commenter. Hey, Sharon. Thanks for writing. Uh, I said regular commenter, but it sounds like I was just calling her regular. She's just a regular, she's a regular everyday, normal commenter. Uh, Sharon says, I haven't seen it, but I guarantee you that if we didn't have this movie, we wouldn't have movies like Sing Street. Yes, that is true. That's a good point, Sharon. That is a movie I saw, like, in the last several months, and it's very good. And, yeah. yes, it, when we watched this movie, I, I actually put in my notes, this reminds me a lot of Sing Street. But then when we started recording, I was like, Jason's not going to know what Sing Street is. Well, I, I know it exists. Is that the one with the pig? Or no. I think, or is that Sing? That's Sing. Okay. <laughs> Jason. No, this movie did not inspire the animated hit Sing. Okay. Um, what's our next comment? Our next comment, Brendan, comes from Louise Camera, another uh, serial commenter who writes, I love this movie. Love the atmosphere and the energy of it. Alan Parker had a real knack for capturing a time and a place. I caught a matinee of it in New York City. Ooh, New York City! At the Zigfield Theater. The Zigfield Theater, where the Zigfield Follies... Well, that's an old theater. Wow, that's cool. Uh, uh, I caught a matinee of it in New York City at the Zigfield Theater the day it opened. That's what happens when you pause every third word. <laughs> there were only like 15 people in the audience, and for some reason they gave us press packets with the black and white photo prints, maybe left over from a press screening. I held on to mine for years until I lost it in a breakup. Aw, Lewis. The movie made me want to read the book, and I became a Roddy Doyle fan. Aren't we all? Yes. We are. Who's your favorite Doyle? We are Dottie? all Roddy Doyle Sorry, fans. Dottie. We are all Roddy Doyle fans. Who's your favorite fans. Roddy? We Piper. Obviously. But Roddy McDowell, too. Don't forget about him. And then we got Roddy Doyle, who's definitely a strong third. But- Did Roddy McDowell paint himself half white and black at WrestleMania? No. Well, However, I think you know the winner. Frank Gorshin did that, I believe, in an episode of Star Trek. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, it was called Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, and it was about a, 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 a an alien race of half-white, half-black people that were at war with each other because some of them were black on the left side and some of them were black on the right side, or, or uh, white the other ways. Yeah, when, look, it was the 60s, and it was a very strong metaphor for If Frank time. Gorshin was a black guy playing that role, I would have been like, okay. 
But a black so a black guy in white face is fine, but a white guy in black face is bad. Yes. Okay. I agree <laughs> I with that's that. That's fair. That's probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> Our last comment comes from Brooke Ann, and she says, I love this movie. When it came out, my parents went crazy. My dad played the soundtrack constantly. At my wedding, I had the DJ play Mustang Sally, and my whole family went crazy. Good call. That's a great song for Mustang Sally. Wish I'd have thought of that. Damn it. That's a great song. Son of a bitch. Go back and do it again. Last thing we do here, Jason, is we talk about the AFI Top 100, the Yanks, the Yanks of the Cranks. And, uh, I'm not familiar with Americans. I haven't seen many of their movies, apparently. You have seen more British movies than American movies <laughs> at this sure, point. It sure feels like it at this point. <laughs> uh, but we talk, we compare this movie to the AFI Top 100 because The Commitments was number 38. Ah. On the AFI Top 100 is The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Ooh, another one I haven't seen, but that's got... Uh, um, Bogey. Bogey. And uh, is it uh, John Huston directed? Uh, or Yeah, John Huston and his dad is in it, too. John Houston's dad? Yeah. Walter Houston? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Oh. Was he the guy that did this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, all right. Um, listen, The Commitments is great. Treasure of the Sierra Madre is literally one of my favorite movies of all time. So I have to... I have to give it to that? I have to give it to that. I would give it to that just on the fact that Bogey's in it. But you can't. I can't. You so have to reward it. I have to, by default, by the rules of the game, I have to say Commitments, but I feel like Treasure of Sierra Madre probably wins this one. Yeah, oh, it's it's top-notch. And I love the commitments, but, you know. All right, so, Jason, we have taken a lot of time. Uh, we need to move <laughs> on to this week's episode. We need to talk about small faces. That's right. So this week's movie in question is very far down the list. This is number 98 on the BFI Top 100. Uh, And one of the more recent movies on this list, this is from Mm -hmm. 1996. uh, And the film is Small Faces, directed by Gillies McKinnon. This is Jill. What's that? Is it Gillies? Is it Jill? Is it Gillis? You know what? I couldn't. This was a hard film to research for. There is not a lot of info out there. Um, this is quite possibly, and yes, more so than The Servant, because I believe there are a great deal of people who actually have seen The Servant, but this is quite possibly the most obscure movie on the list. Um, even I would even say Fires Were Started is less obscure than this movie. Mm, this yeah. movie was the unfortunate. Um, Unfortunately, fell to the fact that it came out within months of the movie Train Spotting. Yes, and that movie ran away with you know all the accolades, all the all the great reviews, all the money, and this movie just kind of uh, you know it's like that movie's a uh, uh, redheaded stepchild. But it speaks well to this movie that it squeaked onto this list uh, when Train Spotting is also on this list, although I imagine much higher. Unless, yeah. unless it's 99, which it's not, because I'm pretty sure that's Carry On Up the Kyber, isn't it? It is Carry On Up the Kyber. <laughs> I'm reminded of it every daunting hour. <laughs> uh, no, Train Spotting is in like the top 15, I think. Okay. It's pretty high up the list. Um, but this is, uh, yeah, this is number 98. This is uh, Small Faces. 
And I think I recognized one person in the cast, but I'll run through some of them. Uh, We have uh, our lead, Ian Robertson, who plays Lex McLean. Uh, Joe McFadden plays Alan McLean, his artistic brother. Uh, Stephen Duffy is Bobby McLean. So there's three McLean boys. This is the um, Bobby is the one that's in a gang uh, called the Glen. Uh, Laura Fraser, who I think is up for a nomination at the end of this term, whenever we get to this group of 20 movies, Uh, she plays Joanne McGowan. She is mm-hmm. a uh, a lady who knows how to stay protected. She knows what to do to kind of stay out of trouble or to do just enough to make sure nobody wants to uh, mess with her. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have Claire Higgins as Lorna McLean. That's the McLean brothers' uh, mom. Mm-hmm. And the only one that I recognized was Kevin McKidd, uh, who you may know from Dog Soldiers. I think that's okay. the that's the big one I can think of. Um, he's also in Train Spotting as well. Actually, he plays Tommy in that movie. Um, <laughs> Kevin McKidd plays Malky Johnson, a terrifying, I thought, a terrifying villain in this movie. Um, the leader of the other gang, the Tongs. He's mental. He's pretty mental. Or he's <laughs> pretty mental. And we should maybe um, talk. I'm sorry, about sorry. He's he- He's mental. I'm trying to do a Scottish accent. He's mental. This this guy, this lad over here, he's mental. By the way, um, this was probably on the cutting room floor because it derailed the entire opening. But I, <laughs> until 10 minutes ago, I thought this movie took place in Dublin. <laughs> nope. That was last week's movie, Brendan. Well, and that's what I thought. I was like, oh, it's interesting that we're doing another movie based in Ireland. But it, you know what? It's still just as interesting that we talked about a movie based in Ireland last week, and this week we're talking about Scotland. Well, and, and they both have similar textures where they're both about lower class people in, in you know, different situations, obviously. We had a band last week, and this week we've got gangs, which are, I guess isn't really that different. It's just it's the band. bands don't generally play music. I mean, it's a band of merry men. Yeah, yeah, they're a band of ban- bandits. <laughs> Highwaymen, <laughs> you might say. You might say that, but would you? Yeah. I, I would. I mean, mm. I don't know. I mean, I guess I never saw them robbing anybody on the street, like like right on the road, like robbing a car. I guess that would make you a highwayman, wouldn't it? I mean, isn't that like a uh, like a band? Isn't the highwayman a band? Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if it's in the same sense, but yes, that's Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, Merle Haggard, Willie Nelson. Right. Yeah, I. You know what's funny? I'm even looking now d- down here at my notes where I wrote the plot summary, and it literally starts with Glasgow, the late '60s. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I thought Glasgow. it was Glasgow, Ireland. Um, but this movie, yeah, this movie takes place in 1968. It's about three brothers, mm. not four brothers. This isn't the Mark Wahlberg film. It's about three brothers: uh, Lex, Alan, and Bobby. Bobby is in a gang called the Glen. Um, mm. Alan is a, uh, you know, he's an artist. He wants to draw. He wants to uh, go to art school. And mm-hmm. Lex is kind of in the middle, right? He's kind of torn between these two kind of uh, uh, roads that he could take. Yes. And this is a movie that is very gritty and raw. And it feels almost, um, and I don't mean in terms of the filming style, but it almost feels documentary in a way, just where it's like, it just it just feels genuine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's there's no like exaggeration in this. No. There's no like it's just it is. It's showing you what's happening. It just it just is just kinda laid out for you. Yeah. So I basically yeah, it's basically the movie is his struggle, Lex's struggle, because um essentially he uh gets an air gun 
He shoots someone in the eye, and that someone happens to be Malky Johnson, the leader of the Tongs, and it just snowballs from there. Now, he gets. I need to say, Brendan, uh, okay. I feel like maybe this is a question of this being in 1968, but the idea that a kid would go out and just shoot some random person with an air rifle, I mean, I, I understand kids do that sort of dumb shit, but when I was 13, if I'd, you know, I, I think I knew better than that. I think I knew that that was not a good idea to go out and shoot somebody with an air pistol. Uh, no matter how cool that air pistol was. I didn't think this kid was that stupid. I thought he was supposed to be kind of smart. And he goes out and does that. I don't think he thought he was going to hit him, though. Because I, I suppose. <laughs> look at the <laughs> <like> distance. That... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the distance. You're right. From... It was a long distance, for sure. It was a loneliness of that long distance air gun. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me of that uh, the Simpsons episode where Bart goes to hang out with um, uh, Nelson. And they're firing the air rifle, and he's like, oh, shoot that bird. And so he goes to aim, but he pulls to the side so as not to shoot the bird. And he pulls the trigger, and it hits the bird. And he's like, oh, you can compensate him for the off-site. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, so he does that. He just, he, he, in a childhood fit of glee, he shoots a man with an air pistol. And that man is a gang leader named Mulkey. That man is a is a very and, – and I think I would argue throughout the course of the movie, he gets scarier and scarier. Like, yeah, because he's fucking nuts. He's a he's a young guy, but he's a young guy. And he makes it very clear at one point that he does not give a fuck. No. He will beat the shit out of anyone. I mean, he beats the shit out of someone who is, I mean, I think the same age as Lex, if mm. not a little bit younger uh, later in the film. And he's also more than happy to direct and participate in large, almost medieval clashes of, of gangs, of local gangs in, like, knife fights with fucking, you know, pipes and bats and, you know, some brutal, brutal shit. I, I know now, like, I'm not saying that the, the fight was, you know, it was gritty and real and I believed it and everything, but for, I couldn't help not think of Anchorman. Yeah, well, no, exactly. When, when when they're in that alleyway and there's the one gang shows up on one side and then the other gang or the other group of guys shows up on the other side, yeah, I just was like, oh, Anchorman. that part and also like when they just start getting into it because like i think there's one point where bobby is standing there with a brick waiting for his opening and all i could think of was steve (laughs) carell just standing there being like ah (laughs) i would like to think that uh, adam mckay uh, had watched this movie in preparation i would not be surprised he's a weird dude because when you think about it this was only this was less than a decade before anchorman what was anchorman like 2005 2003 i think or 2004, anyway, maybe? It was within 10 years of this movie coming out, yeah. so it's possible he had himself a VHS of this. Exactly. So, Jason, I don't know if you've ever seen this this movie, but this movie actually made me think of, like, really early Martin Scorsese. It, have you ever seen uh, Mean Streets? No. Okay. This felt to me like a lot like Mean Streets, and now we can just go past that because you haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of... Uh, it, this movie thought made me think of a different Martin Scorsese movie, Gangs of New York, a little oh, okay. bit. Obviously not on the same scale. Yeah. This movie struck me as like a, it's like Gangs in New York crossed with Gregory's Girl. Okay. Crossed with like Kess. Kess. <laughs> okay, so Kess for me, it's the accents. Yeah, well, the, in Kess, they're like very thick Yorkshire accents. And this one, yeah. it's a, a delightful Scottish brogue. But, uh, but yeah, a little harder to parse. I, I did not find this as hard to parse as Kess, though. And no. part of that, I think, is the accent, but also I think part of it is that the auto quality is just better than Kess, because Kess was a low-budget movie in, like, the 70s or the 60s or something. So Yeah, 1970, so it was, it was a little bit harder to parse. Um, but I, I would say next to Kess, this was the 
Uh, this movie had the thickest accents I think we've watched in a while. In a while. But it needed, and it needed that because it needed to be authentic because that's how they talk in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's yeah, that's the kind of the first thing is that the dialogue is can be can be tough at times, and I'm wondering if like, and I'm thinking back to Train Spotting, and I don't recall that movie being all that difficult to parse in terms of like the the accents or the dialogue, right? No, they were doing like American friendly Scottish in that movie. Yeah, because I mean, I think this is like it's almost like that's like the Hollywood friendly version of what this is in a way. It's two very different stories and they're filmed very differently, but it does feel like that. Like one obviously succeeded because it kind of pushes in the way of like of being more easily more easily digested, I guess. Because you watch Train Spotting and like, yes, it's it's a movie about heroin, but I mean, it's very funny. It's very yeah. entertaining. Uh, whereas this movie is is you know it, it ne- never mind about like i'm not i'm not saying this is a bad thing but it's not purely like, just like entertainment no there there are some there are a few funny moments in it but yeah no it's it's not in the same way the train spotting is is a more i guess bigger mix of comedy but with crazy freak out shit yeah i mean i almost want to say train spotting is more mainstream and that's not even a slight against it i just think that's kind of what it is yeah, and it was, and and, all, and clearly, Train Spotting is a movie, and I'm sure we'll talk about more when we actually watch Train Spotting, because uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. But um, like that was clearly a movie with a much bigger budget, yeah, you know, much more prominent actors in it. Uh, this, was I mean, much now they are. Much, yeah, well, I mean, maybe they weren't then, but like th- this movie didn't go to the same level of success, and also it was clearly much cheaper, much grittier. Like they, they, but it, you know, it, it doesn't make it bad. It's it's pretty cool, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's interesting. So, I mean, this movie gives us three very different brothers. Um, yeah. Lex is our main guy. Lex is our dude. He's 16 years old. No, he's 13. He says he later that he was 16. Yeah, he says he's 16. And then he goes into the bathroom uh, and the, the bouncer sees him there and he goes, 16 years old, and then walks out. Okay, I'm glad you told me because in that yeah. scene, when the bouncer said that, all I heard was, hey, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I couldn't understand the accent. It's yeah, one no, of those scenes. He's 13, and and that's what, and of course later when he meets up with uh, with a uh, Garbles, he says, "Oh, you're." Uh, he goes, he says, "How old are you?" He goes, "I'm 16." He goes, "16? You're a bit wee for 16, aren't you?" And he goes, "I smoke a lot." <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um. So yeah, we have Lex is our main guy. We have Alan is our kind of artistic guy, and we have um Bobby. Bobby. Who I think I think he might be I think that might be the most interesting of the three performances. Yeah, no, absolutely, because he's he's a he's a the these guys Weijin equivalent of a gangbanger. You know, he's hanging out with these knife gangs, these razor gangs. Um, he's clearly been through some shit. He's had some trauma clearly that we're not totally, I think, ever clear on what it is. Like they had a father who, from all implications, was pretty shitty. Yeah, but seems to have some like I don't know if it's like a manufactured like idea of who this guy was because because there's a point where where he says something about like uh, my dad like dad apologized to me before he died and the other son was like no he didn't (laughs) and he's like yes he did it's also clear too that in addition to that he's not like i don't want to say he's dumb but he's clearly got some issues going on whether that's like a learning disability or something because he has he, he has trouble reading we see that at one point he's trying to read the newspaper um and he's kind of sounding out words as he's going through and then when Lex comes in and starts saying things about him and starts spelling them out so that he can't understand what he's saying, because he says like M O R O N, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, and, and then we, we, then we also have a scene with him too, where he's like uh, in bed and he starts like having a freak out 
uh, and he's like screaming and stuff. And his mother comes in and like comforts him and stuff. So, so he's got a lot going on, Bobby, uh, uh, and is clearly a real handful for that mother to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he's, yeah, he's having these like crazy episodes and you see, um, I mean, the way the movie starts with him is he's overfeeding, intentionally overfeeding Lex's goldfish to kill it. But you think like you're watching that and you're like, okay, so this movie's going to paint him as like the bad guy and you know, we're going to be against him and everything. But I think the movie admirably takes a much more complicated look at him. Yeah. Yeah, Um, No, he's not just a total dick. Like he's somebody, despite whatever, like, like mental uh, learning disabilities and mental issues and trauma that he's dealing with. He's still trying to navigate this fucking life that he's in. That yeah. That's what, that's what it is. Like he, it's not a question of whether he can get out of it or not. This is just how it is. And he's going to deal with it. And I mean, he has a dream early on that he, that he thinks he's, he's been killed. Like he's, he's paranoid about dying all the time. Um, even when you like, you see him, I, I, I hear what you, I know what you mean. Like you, there's something just like off. There's, there's something not, kind of you know screwed on right and you kind of see it in those scenes where he's standing there in the gang and there's just like a kind of a dead eye look in his face yeah. where like something's yeah. not clicking something's not uh you, you know firing on all cylinders he's a soldier <laughs> in these gangs like he's when he's there he's there to do what he's there to do which is fuck people up yeah uh, yeah exactly and i mean going into the gang there so he's he's there's two gangs in this movie there's the glens and the tongs yes and the glens so uh, this movie kind of tricked me a little bit at first because the glens are like i i mean they're not good guys but let's just call them like the good guy gang or whatever yes the protagonist gang i guess protagonist kind of and then we get the tongs who are like you know the antagonists but what is interesting about this is that they turn that on its head pretty early because we meet the gang leader of the glens charlie sloan yeah who is unpredictable and crazy and an asshole and possibly like well i mean not possibly he is very violent which he is it's it kind of shocked me like i thought they were going to do this whole thing where like oh the glens are a gang but they're like family and everyone gets along and it's not that well and part of it is too is that he's got that uh i was reading through tv tropes there's actually tv tropes page on this thing uh, on this movie and it mentioned the affable villain, villain, and that's kind of what he is in the beginning because he invites them in, brings them into his house, he's showing them all his like record collection, his books and shit, and he's like, check out my cool suit because <laughs> I'm a well dressed guy, and then he's like, oh, check out my razors, I keep in my suit, and I can go, whoa, I got razors, uh, and he's impressing them, you know, trying to draw them into his web of deceit. Well, yeah, and that's when, and that's shortly after the bit where Lex has uh, accidentally shot Malky in the eye, and they're basically looking for protection. Yeah, uh, he and Alan. Alan is with him, of course. Um, but I also thought it was interesting that scene because you're talking about how he takes out the razors and he's like, "Look at my suit. Look at these moves yeah. I've got." Do you find like um, he's kind of doing things that he might have seen in the movies? That yes, absolutely. Uh, but it's a combination of that being what he thinks a gangster is supposed to be, but also peacocking for the purposes of uh, you know like establishing himself, intimidating, impressing, whatever he needs to do to make himself you know bigger than he really is uh, yeah. to these newbies to establish his power position. I I mean later on I I when they're when they're actually like okay we're gonna help you. But uh, Alan, you're an artist. I'd like you to uh, graffiti an image of me on this like painting at the art museum. 
Which is, um, by the way, I gotta say, Brendan, that is a fucking brilliant thing to do as far as like like a thing you're doing as a gang. Like you think about gangs like running drugs and doing terrible things. Breaking into an art museum and putting your own face on a famous fucking painting, like that genius, genius. Well what I what I noticed about that is the way they they have Lex go in first. And when they're lowering him in with the rope, I got a serious like Mission Impossible vibe. Yeah, he's coming down from the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that kind of fed into the whole uh, oh, they're copying the movies. Maybe we <laughs> maybe at this point we should play a uh, a brief clip here of yeah. uh, Let's take a listen to the gang a gang confrontation early in the movie. So this is like as witnessed by Lex, he goes to like a fair, I think, and he kind of sees the gang squaring up against each other and I want to play the clip I want to like listen to the dialogue, but I also want to kind of hear the music that plays because I think it's, a, it's an interesting choice. <laughs> Just then, a big cloud comes across the sky. I swear, it looked like one of those China ducks, except we had cigars stuffed up his ass. <laughs> I started to laugh. The girl says, "What is it with you?" I. She's quiet for a bit. Then she goes, "Christ!" So it is, and then she screams. Oh, what? This is. She says, look at the face on her. It looks just like Charlie Sloan. <laughs> Bobby, kill him. Glenn! Glenn, you bastard! I think the haunting music there is interesting because mm. it's also like we're watching this kind of gang confrontation, but it's also mostly about Lex watching it. Yeah. Because he's kind of like, and he has like almost no reaction to it, which is kind of interesting. Like the yeah. whole movie, the whole movie is kind of like, I don't know. I feel like watching this movie, I'm like, the whole suspense is like, will he follow his brother Bobby's path mm. or his brother Alan's path? Yeah, exactly. Whether whether he'll try to make you know a little more of his life, or whether he'll fall into this uh, into this hole, which we can see that beginning, like not necessarily of his own intention, but just because of the sequence of events that it's so easy in these situations to fall into this sort of thing and kind of get stuck there. I mean, that seems to be maybe what happened to Bobby, uh, and and yes, that is the central danger in this movie for for Lex. Yeah, like for him, like he doesn't really react, but I think for him that's because it's kind of normalized. Like that's mm -hmm. the life he lives. That's the life he sees around him on a daily basis is this sort of violence. So it doesn't really set him off one way or the other. It's just like, well, here we go. Another day in paradise. Just another day for you and me in paradise. Oh, Whoa. Think, think twice. twice. Uh, but yeah, so I, I want to, I kind of want to just like, I know, you know, this is kind of the end, this is kind of the climax of the movie, but I kind of want to get to the end a little bit because I just want to talk about how I got to, I, I, there's, well, if there is one criticism that I can make here, sure. we have this big scene where actually we'll play the scene before we, before we talk about it too much. But basically at some point, Charlie, like we said, the leader of the gang of the Glens, Charlie is insane. And mm. There's one point where he literally just walks up to Lex and headbutts him for no reason. Now, Brendan, you must understand that is called the Glasgow handshake. Okay. <laughs> that is when you headbutt somebody like that. But he, but my, my point stands that he is insane. Yes, very much so. And he headbutts uh, young Lex. And Lex is so put off by this that maybe, you know, a little brazenly, maybe this is not such a good idea. Actually, it's definitely not a good idea. Oh. No. 
but he thinks, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not letting him push me around. I'm going to go to the leader of the opposing gang, the Tongs. I'm going to go see Malky, a.k.a. the dude I shot in the eye with an air gun. (laughs) And I'm going to see if he will kill this guy for me. Yeah. Like, I'm going to give him all the info about Charlie, about where he goes, about where he skates, because he goes skating every Mm -hmm. week or whatever. And I'm going to get him to kill him. And I just want to play the little scene here where he's actually talking to Malky um, giving him info, trying to get him to uh, to do this for him. And then we'll talk a, about it. A bold plan, Brendan. A bold plan. Dangerous bold plan, yeah. Do you know what mental is, son? No. Mental's... Nothing gets in your way, do you know what I mean? It's a state of mind. It's like a wee boy comes into your house. I mean, he's really wee, maybe 13. But you don't like his face, so you stab him anyway. Mental's doing time for murder because you don't give a fuck. Do you think you could do that, son? Do you think you could be mental? Aye. Where are you from? Postle Street? No. Govan Hill. What? Govan Hill and Gorbals. What's going on here? He wants to join your team, so I brought him up, because he seems all right. And what's the Tongs going to do with a stunted midget for Glenland? I don't know, maybe a spy? Yeah, spy. Yeah. So, what's he going to tell us? What do you know about Charlie Sloan? Well, he's kind of... Sloan's very fat. He lives with his dad. I think he reads a lot. What do you mean, what do I know? How about Joanne McGowan? Is Sloan screwing her? No. No, he isn't. So you know Joanne McGowan? No. No, I don't. So how do you know Sloan isn't screwing her? Oh, he's the own Malky. She's just a wee bird, you know. Welsh, am I the leader of this team? So? So, don't embarrass me. I've got company. If I wanted to find Bobby McLean on his own, how would I do that? I don't know, but I think Charlie Sloan goes skating on Saturday mornings. That's Sloan? I asked about Bobby McLean. He's a slow thinker. A bit of a mummy's boy. A bad temper. I don't know, he's very unpredictable. What about McLean's brothers? What brothers? Fucking useless. Well, I'll take this wee shite out in the stairs. Hang on a second, Malky. He said something about Sloan going skating. So, Sloan goes skating. Where? Cross the roof? With his team? No, with a couple of girls, I think. No team? No. Oh, mind you, that was a while back. Oh, that was a while back, Welsh. No, he goes every week. He told me personally. So right there, that is a terrible decision on Lex's part. But he is not, you know, he's a very young man. I mean, he's a young boy. He's 13 years old. And yeah, and, and I got to point out, too, that at this point, Malky still doesn't know that he's Bobby and uh, Alan's brother. He doesn't realize that he's the kid that shot him. Right. And right there where he says, like, do you know anything about Bobby or Alan McLean? You yeah. know, he quickly says, no, 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 I don't. That should be a red flag right there. If he yeah. know, if he's asking about your brother's. Do not go into business with this man. But essentially, um, because of this, he gives him the info. Later in the movie, though, Malky holds uh, Gorbals, which is another character we need to talk about. But Gorbals is like, I think, his half-brother. Oh, I I didn't pick up on that. He somehow, he is related to Malky somehow. I think it's like his half-brother or something. But he basically hangs Gorbals over a balcony. 
yeah. and is like, tell me who this kid is. And he finally is like, oh, it's Lex. It's one of the brothers. And so I think his I think his name is Garbles because I think Garbles? that's an area. I think there's an area of Glasgow called Garbles. So I okay. think he's named after that. All I could think of was Joseph Goebbels as soon as he yeah. said his name. <laughs> and I was like, well, he's nothing like that character. He's the mouthpiece uh, for the gang. <laughs> but after they, he kind of tortures that guy or like hangs him over the balcony, he finds out that, you know, Lex is Lex. And in a very intense scene, he goes to the skating rink and instead of killing Charlie, he kills Bobby. Bum, bum, bum. And, and I mean, that scene is crazy. Like when they, yeah. when he... The way it's shot is like Malky shows up and you see the slice and you actually like the slice of a knife and you actually see Charlie fall. So you're first you're like, oh, okay, he got Charlie. But then all of a sudden you cut to another shot and Charlie is just like, what's going on over there? And you see that Bobby has actually been killed. And then when he's dragged across the ice, it's just a big trail of blood. That streak, because I mean, the filmmakers knew that nothing, blood doesn't look better on anything than ice. So you gotta have blood on the ice. It kind of reminded me of, have you ever seen that Paul Walker movie, Running Scared? I have not. Does he get stabbed in a hockey rink? Uh, no, but there's a big scene in a hockey rink where um, they're threatening to, like, I think someone swings a puck at, like, his face or something. Um, I think s- someone probably gets killed in there. I don't It's been a while. Wait, but, it, uh, wait a second. In, in Snake Eyes, was that basketball they were playing or was that hockey? <laughs> in Snake Eyes? It was yeah. boxing. Oh, it was boxing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to think what the oh double team was double team maybe the one with double the, team with the hockey not, uh, no 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 not double team um oh god was it it was something else with uh, John Claude Van Damme that it was hockey I don't remember the name of it though hmm, probably oh uh, yeah I don't know anyways because yeah hockey doesn't get represented very often right uh, or or skating no. rinks for that matter <laughs> it's true but that so my criticism going back to that for just a second is. I think, and of course the scene with Bobby is very intense, it's very well shot, mm. but I think that it would have been that much more effective if it had been Alan that got killed. Yeah, the good one? I think so, because I think it would have been interesting, because he's barely involved in any of this, right? Mm. He does the, the drawing for Charlie in exchange for protection, and then he basically just goes away, and he doesn't really go back to the gang stuff. I think it would have been more of a tragedy if Alan had kind of been caught in the crosshairs there. You proud of yourself? Am I? Yeah, are you proud of yourself to sit here and fucking backseat guess this director? I'm just saying. Giving giving him fucking notes? Who are you, sir? Who are you? Listen, I sent my notes. I sent it reverse (laughs) post-dated, and he didn't even look at them. Hmm. Well, when I get a time hole... Uh, we will send it back to 1995 and see if he uh, listens to you. <laughs> well, do you know what I mean, though? Like, I, I don't know. Mm. Do, do you think that's that's valid? Like, do you think it would have been more uh, of a... Because then, then you might, if you want to go that way, you might then prompt some sort of change in Bobby, whether it be for better or whether it be for worse. I mean, I guess if you did that, then you have the scenario where Bobby's the one that goes and tries to fucking kill Malky and might actually do it. Yeah. yeah, and maybe maybe in that situation you run uh, a risk of getting even more tragic, where Bobby tries to do it and he ends up getting killed too. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Maybe at that point the movie is like, all right, we got to have some kind of decently happy moment here. <laughs> yeah, and and in this situation, like these these gangs are not like I, I wouldn't say they are strong political entities. They're not thinking on like a strategic level. 
there's just Bobby's the face of, well, one of the faces of this gang, you know, one of the guys that's close to, uh, what's his face there, Charlie, and he's an easy target, and he's also a psycho, so getting rid of him would probably be beneficial to the other gang, because then they have one less psycho they got to deal with. Yeah, exactly. That's true, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's a bad scene or anything. I just think it's an interesting alternative way to do that with Alan mm. getting killed instead. Yes, yes. There's definitely a, a way. I feel like the Hollywood version might do that. You know what? You're probably right. And <laughs> I just want to say here, right now, right here, I am ashamed. Uh, you may call me Brendan Hollywood from now on. I have forsaken the BFI for screen and country. Good night. So it's all me now, baby. You got Jason all the time. Yeah! Let's talk about movies, baby! Wah, 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 wah. Oh, thank God I came back. Thank yeah, God I decided yeah. to come back. Frontier Psychiatry. Oh, no. <laughs> what? Why are you pitching? It's my soundboard. S- why are you pitching <laughs> SNL sketches on the air? <laughs> Frontier Psych. Oh, no! Frontier Psychiatrist. That is a song by the Avalanches, and it is a fantastic song from 20 plus years ago. I don't know. I believe Don Pardo introduced it in about 1978. Probably. The Frontier Psychiatrist. Well, yeah. Somebody got some mental problems? <laughs> I was watching a game show clip the other day from Password. Lucille Ball was on it with Carol Channing. And Carol Channing, for some reason, was dressed up like she was on a yacht. Okay. She had like a like a sailor cap and everything. And was that was that the style in the 70s? Because I just assumed that was like Daryl Dragon, uh, uh, like, like a specific type of person. I think Carol Channing would have got down with the yacht stuff. Well, I mean, I think they were all shit-faced, right? Good point. Good point. Now back yeah. to your regularly scheduled programs. <laughs> Speaking of shit-faced, Jason, can we talk about the adult party that goes down? Yeah. I found that an interesting scene, Brendan. That was okay. uh, Yeah, so in, in the course of this party, he shows up to the house. His uncle is visiting from America. So we're, talking about, we're talking about Lex? Lex, yeah, Lex. Uh, he goes to visit, and, and of course, the, the adults are all hanging out, and they're drinking because he's uh, the uncle is in from America. He's visiting everybody. So of course, and it's Scotland. So what are they going to do? They're going to drink. And it's it's really interesting because it, it is a good scene because it really gets across that awkwardness you feel as a kid at an adult party where the adults are drinking and acting weird, you know, because they're getting drunk and you're not totally on board with it. And, and Lex decides to deal with this by drinking himself, uh, by snatching uh, shots of whiskey and beer here and there when he can grab it. And But it does not agree with him. He doesn't seem really happy to be drunk at all. Uh, he just sits there and is very sleepy and just bored, which is weird because he was super excited to go to that party. Well, I mean, he's super sleepy. Oh, by the way, Uncle Andrew is a great character. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> he's pretty. He's a fun drunk, right? Yeah, he fakes <laughs> yeah. his death. It's great. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he is super sleepy and bored until the end when Bobby shows up. Yeah. And then Lex just full on goes like rage, like ball of fire now, on him. That was the truest Scottish drunk right there that he just <laughs> sat drinking for hours brewing. And then when somebody showed up, he fucking snapped on them. Do you think that's the now on a deeper level, Jason, put your tiny glasses on for just a second. Um, do you think that uh, them having Lex kind of appeal to his base instincts of attacking Bobby like that is their way of saying that maybe that's deep down who he is, is that he's more like Bobby than Alan. Uh, certainly that he has it in him. Yeah. That he, that, that, that he has the ferocity that would be necessary for such a life. And yeah, it does not necessarily bow well for, because if he was just a sensitive boy, 
um, you know, we wouldn't really have that concern because it's like, oh, this this kid's weak and, and fragile like a flower. There's no way he'd last in a criminal world. But, you know, Lex could probably scrape by, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, also it's the reaction to the goldfish thing from earlier, right? Yes, and and I a rightful reaction when your brother murders your pet. Thankfully, my brother, no matter what issues my brother and I had, he never murdered one of my pets, nor I one of his. I want to put that on the record, Brendan. Guys, you heard it here first. Jason, wait, you have a brother? I do. You never, I never talk about. <laughs> I never brother. knew you had a brother. Yeah, hold on a sec here. Uh, so there's my brother Jamie. That's his girlfriend Holly. Okay, uh, so you guys fiance. Make sure everybody can see it on the audio podcast. There we go. Jason. There you go. There's Jamie looking his best. Yeah. There you are, Jason. I did not know you had a brother. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I mean, I, to be fair, like, I don't I don't talk about Jamie all the time, but, like, he's yeah. my brother. He's uh, And I've got beautiful Rosie and uh, Emily now, and Holly is part of the family. It's lovely. Yeah. I am an only child. Yeah. Well, that I knew. I just assumed you were as well, but I was wrong. Do I give off that vibe? Fuck you. I mean, I don't know if I should take that as an insult. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck you for saying that. <laughs> so small faces. Why do you think it's called small faces? I just thought about. I did. I didn't even write this down. I just thought. I just thought small faces. Why is this called small faces? In a deleted scene, Charlie Sloan shows them his collection of uh, of uh, Rod Stewart's faces on micro cassette. Oh, okay. So that's your uh, that's your official answer. That's my official answer. <laughs> so so no idea like no no theory as to why maybe it was called that uh, i i don't know i don't know i i didn't find any like slang thing like oh okay, small faces over here i got face dogs. i don't know it, maybe maybe like uh maybe like because they're you know small part of a of a bigger i don't know i don't know i'm just to, i'm just to our british audience which if you're out there and you are out there, cause we know our, our British audience increased oh, yeah. this year from probably one to 10. So all 10 of you, <laughs> uh, if you, if, if, if you know what small faces means, if there's a slang term or a cultural reference that us two dumb white Canadian dudes don't get, please, uh, send us a letter. PO box seven fourteen, uh, evergreen terrace, Fredericton, New Brunswick, E three B three, three, three. Okay. Be careful. Cause that's getting dangerously close to real. Well, don't worry. I made the postal code wrong. It may take you a while to get a response because there's only a window twice a year that mail can get into the country. So, <laughs> yeah, the stereotype is true. We all yep. actually live in igloos. Yep. Yeah, we have to wait for the airdrops to come by. <laughs> but no, for real though, I think when we talk about this movie next week, when we read some comments, if anyone has actually seen this movie, I'm gonna put it out there. Yeah. Why do you think this is called Small Faces? I would really like to know. So if it, if I will be. Jason, Jason, yeah. I will be yeah. shocked. Yes. I will be shocked next week if we have any comments to read about this movie. Yeah, because like, I honestly don't know where you would even get this thing. Uh, it's not available. Of... This is no. not available. It says on JustWatch.com that it is available on FlixFling. That mm. is a lie. It is a different thing altogether. It is a concert film. We had to hire an Irish guy in a flat cap to fly from Dublin to Fredericton in a pandemic. To bring us a PAL videotape that we then had to take downtown to a business that wasn't open and wake the guy up and get him to convert it to us to an NTSC DVD so we can watch this. That's right, motherfuckers. We put you all at risk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. 100%. Not because um, the movie necessarily is good, just because the podcast is out. 
and you're listening to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to talk about I want to talk about the um, the some of the cinematography in this movie because I think it's very impressive. I think this is a small budget movie, but I think yeah. the the shots are pretty cool. Like there's 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 some shots like where when Lex first goes into Tongland, as we yes. see the graffiti, "Welcome to yes. Tongland." This scene. Um, it's very like he looks alone. You know what I mean? Like the, the shot shows him in the middle of like a vast empty space. I would guess that Tongland is the place that is much less well off. Also, did you notice that this seems to be the only shot in the movie that they happen to have a crane for that day? Uh, yeah. Cause we have these real sweeping around shots of, um, of Lex as he's walking across this, like just this empty lot essentially. Oh, it's, it's, it's desolate. Yeah, it's, I it's, wonder if it's actually a crane. I wonder if there's something, something kind of hobbled together to make this shot. Yeah, because it, but but it's a shot that is nowhere else in the movie. It's only right yeah. in this specific scene. And um, I mean, used pretty wisely, honestly. Feels a bit like you say it's desolate. It feels a bit Fallout Glasgow. Like it's got a real like post-apocalyptic vibe <laughs> to it um, in this area. Yeah, for sure. And the other the other shots that really stick out to me is when. Um, Lex is kind of being toyed with by Charlie, like the leader of the Glens and his like driver when they're, when they drive him out for no reason, when they yeah. drive him out to like the middle of Tongland and they're like, Oh, we're going to leave him alone out here. And yeah, he's just psychologically abusing him. They're like, they're like committing a mock execution of this kid in that they're dragging him out and openly talking about killing him. Well, uh, I, I guess Charlie is more so than the other guy. The other guy's sort of playing the good cop. As well, good a coffee well, ex- can have in that situation. Yeah, well, execution in terms of like just leaving him out there to ultimately yeah. get killed by a Tong gang member, yeah. right? And they're like, well, what what if we just leave him out here? And then, you know, they kind of do that thing where it's like, well, you know what? We can't do that. And it's like, why? Well, it looks like it's going to rain. All right, let's turn around. Yeah. And that that whole scene, though, anytime you see Charlie and um, the other guy, we're looking up. Right. We're looking yes. straight up. It's like it gives them so much more power in that scene. And it's, and it's anytime, definitely from a kid's perspective of looking up at a, a quote unquote adults. Exactly. And you know what? I thought I thought it's a very different movie, but I thought kind of of hope and glory. Yeah. In, in, yeah, in the fact exactly. that this is from a kid's perspective. Right. This whole movie. Yeah, it is kind of. Yeah, I, I could see the comparisons you could make between hope and glory of just two totally different experiences but also in kind of shitty shitty times yeah and then yeah. yeah and then when we look back at lex like we're looking straight down like we're looking we have power over like it's like power over him or whatever yeah so i just think that's interesting what about the nightclub can we talk about the saddest nightclub in glasgow the low roof club brendan <laughs> in the middle of the day right well yeah uh, but what how how do you know if it's day or night because the cl- the skies are as cl- cloudy 24 7 in this movie yeah and but that's the thing you got to think about all right so think about this you have this economically depressed area that is is full of gangs and like violence and stuff so what are people doing whether they are people trying to just live their lives or people that are active gang members they're getting drunk you know (laughs) and clubs are around pubs are around liquor is available i mean i'm pretty sure britain is a place where you can buy you know beer in the corner store so I wonder if that's part of it. If you have all this liquor in a given city that, that helps contribute to this like violence and, and degeneration. Uh, I sound like a, a teetotaler right now, but I'm literally drinking a beer as we speak. So don't think I don't like alcohol folks. Don't make that mistake. 
Listen, you, uh, I sit on my moral pedestal here. My name is Jason McLeod. Well, I, I do always think about that stuff because I'm not going to pretend like we live in like, you know, like a paradise here in Canada. But in our province, the way liquor works is that until recently, if you wanted to buy beer or liquor, you had to go to a liquor store. Nowadays, yeah. you can get beer at certain grocery stores and at certain outlets, uh, like certain convenience stores like out in the country. But for the most part, it's a much more controlled thing here than it is, say, in the United States or in Britain, where it's much more available. So I'm wondering if that might have something to do with it. I'd have to look at actually, like, statistics, I'm sure. But I'm not going to do that, Brendan. You know why? Because I'm fucking lazy. That's why. So if you're a statistician uh, that listens to our podcast, let or me know. A stat- or a statistician, whatever. A statistician, a statistician, a numbers guy, whatever you consider yourself. If you know the answer to my thought, uh, uh, not even a question, just my thought, uh, let me know. Yeah. At Jason D. McLeod. On Twitter. Check it's it out. M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And as soon as it's back, I'll be at CoolDude69 on Parlor. So check me <laughs> oh, out. Oh, no. <laughs> it is back, by the way. Oh, it's already back on that Russian something server? Something weird. I don't know. Hmm. Don't don't search it, guys. Fuck <laughs> But yeah, the nightclub is where it, it's it's a scene where I guess Lex, is, Lex and Bobby kind of have more of their bonding moment. And it's interesting because... Lex goes in to help uh, to help out with Bobby. Malky comes into the club. We have the whole confrontation. Lex helps Bobby escape. And then as soon as they get back home, by the way, by this point, Lex has already shoplifted. Yeah. That should be noted as well. So he's already doing shirt. shit like that. Yeah, he takes his shirt. Nothing for me today, thanks. And uh, when they get back home, uh, the mom is like harassing Lex for having shoplifted and everything. And Bobby is just like excited. Like he's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he fucking shoplifted, yeah. Like, he's all getting, like, you know, happy about it. He's, like, having yeah. that weird, like, almost fatherly pride in his brother, like, the misplaced yeah. though it may be. He's like, oh, he's growing to be just like his older brother. And it brings a tear to me eye. <laughs> right, exactly. And then, of course, shortly after that, Bobby sees uh, a skeleton that Alan has uh, mm. because he's, like, you know, drawing a skeleton. And yeah. he thinks it's like a message sent to him from the from the rival gang, and he just takes a hammer to it. Yeah, it's which crazy. was a present. It was this was a present that Lex bought with his own money, even though he ripped the guy off. Uh, <laughs> a skeleton. Only, he he pulled a fucking choosing beggar tactic of only bringing two uh, two shillings instead of three. That dickhead. <sighs> Kids. So he fucking so yeah he breaks that skeleton and then he goes after. Uh, 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 he goes after um, Lex and Alan with the fucking hammer, and Mom has to step in in yeah. front of them and basically be like, "Give me the hammer." Give me, like she she basically treats him like a dog. She's like, "Give me, give me," and he does hand her the hammer and walks off. And on the other side of the coin, we have uh, Lex trying to relate to Alan and his friend Fabio. Mm, his mm. friend Fabio, who is like a you know is a very good artist, as we see yeah. his some of his paintings. Legit. Um, legit genuinely well good artist and then i i actually do want to play a scene here because um fabio seems to convince lex a little bit you know to continue drawing because he sees some of his drawings and he's like yo these are very good like you should keep doing this but then fabio goes to leave and he gets accosted by a bunch of ladies let's take a listen hey you what's your name what never mind what asked your name Handsome, isn't he? Aye, what plastic. Excuse me. Look at it. Kidney point its way at a paper bag. Big fight come with the tongs today. 
How come you're not with the Glen? You're too good for them. Betty fights like a lassie. Well, I don't fight with girls. Go Yeah, so Fabio gets the shit beat out of him by the the girls of the Glen. Well, they 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 beat him up good first, and then the the gentlemen of the Glen see him getting beat up, and then join in and just curb stop him, just go yeah. fucking ham on him. Yeah, I mean Fabio ultimately survives it, but yeah, he gets the shit beat out of him. And I think it's interesting that this movie is like, hey, they may be like the females of the group, but guess what? They're just as brutal as anyone else. They Absolutely. they just they beat the shit out of him, and of course they can prey on that the you know the, the general idea that you don't fight women. Exactly, uh, they they prey on that on that you know that this Fabio character is a gentleman and he's just like you know I'm not gonna I don't think he gets in any fights let alone hit women so I no. mean of course they're gonna take that weakness and exploit it, mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting in that way and I mean talking about the female characters we need to talk about we need to talk about Joanne. Played by Laura Fraser. Yes. Because she's a, a very prominent character in this movie. She's kind of like connected to everybody. She knows what's going on. She is somebody who is able to maintain her position and not get involved or, or at least get in the crosshairs of anyone. She's well, like I mean, everybody to some extent. Because when we meet Joanne, she's kind of linked to Malky because she says Malky is like really into her. She yeah. goes with Charlie to like the you know the skate park. They don't do anything. He just wants her to go with him. Yeah, but she's really into Alan. Like like very into Alan. Like in a way that is is extremely forward for uh, a movie set in 1968. Maybe even kind of forward for a movie that was made in 1996. I don't know. But she basically is like, "Are you going to take me on a date? You're going to take me on a date. We're going to meet at 7:30. I'll see you there." Yeah. Um, and and he doesn't say anything, and then he doesn't even show anyways. Dickhead. Right. But that's because they were busy breaking into an art gallery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were they got they got shit to do, Jason. That's right. The gang has business. But she um she is more I think she's possibly the most street savvy character in this movie. Yeah, I would say. Well yeah, exactly. She knows everybody, she plays everybody, she keeps herself safe. Um she does what she has to do. Yeah. And I respect that. But also, she's clearly getting herself into trouble if she's getting on Malky's bad side. Now, I'm not saying that she should go have a relationship with Malky so that he doesn't hurt her. That's a stupid thing to say. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, she, yeah, she's living on a nice edge anyway. She's good at what she does, but she is on a nice edge at all times. So, yeah, and I mean, I, I do like, too, how she's into Alan. I mean, they end up kissing. I think it's implied mm. that they end up having sex in that one scene yeah. what, later on. But, yeah. um, I mean... They don't end up in a relationship by the end of the film. Like he's he's gone away to art school. She's going and doing her own thing. Lex is staying behind. Bobby has been killed. What's really interesting is that for the last third of the film, Lex is intent on having Malky killed because he ended up killing Bobby, his brother, instead of Charlie. And he ends up uh, going after him. And of course, Lex is not. We know Lex is not going to kill Malky. Yeah, he's not but- built for that. But let's reinforce, too, um, at some point, you know, because obviously uh, after Bobby's killed, uh, their mother is devastated. You know, she's having trouble with it. She can't sleep. She's doing whatever. She's looking through a photo album in the kitchen and she's in tears. And, you know, Alan and Lex go to her because they're loving sons and say, like, Mom, is there anything we could do to help you? 
And she just, she's like, if you can just find the guy that killed Bobby, you know, fill the, kill, find the bastard that killed Bobby. And so I think Lex takes that to heart, literally. Like, she's not literally saying, go out and find this guy. But yeah. he does think that. And that just adds to his anger. Because I think he was on the verge of that anyways. But hearing his mom say that, that drives him over the edge. And he wants to do something about it. Exactly. And he's too young to have that filter of like, oh, no, that's not what she really legitimately wants you to do like that's just that's her gut reaction coming out yeah um but yeah he and i mean obviously lex is like very sloppy about it and he almost gets himself killed at one point because he tries to open like the door and malky comes out with a shotgun Mm -hmm. um and and nearly and nearly gets himself killed but as he nearly gets poor uh uh killed in that uh in, in the way because grables gave him the knife uh, that yeah. he brought with him. Gave him the switchblade. Should we listen to the scene where uh, wh- what's his name? Because I've heard three different pronunciations now. I say, or Garbles. I think it's Garbles. Garbles? Okay. Yeah. Should we hear I the said scene Grables. where <laughs> <laughs> Betty Grable? Um, should we hear the scene where Garbles like uh, is confronted by Malky towards the end of the film? It's like sure. just before you know the deed is done. You brought out Lex McLean here, didn't you? I, but well, he came back. With this. So, where is he now? And it better be the truth. Thousands wouldn't. Fucking Glasgow handshake right to the head. Goddamn. So he, yeah, he beats the fucking shit out of him, and yeah. it's like it, it, it's. It's it's not surprising, but it's like still alarming to see um, when Malky does that. And He's getting very close to uh, Reservoir Dogs in that guy's ear. Was, <laughs> that that yeah. knife must have been obviously that was a dull knife because he rubs yeah. that thing all over his face. And if that had been a real knife, he would have cut his face up pretty bad. For sure. <laughs> Do you think Garbles is where Lex could have ended up? Like oh, absolutely. Cause Garbles, yeah, because Garbles ultimately ends up killing Malky. Through cutting the gas in his place. Yeah, he, he, he well, he leaves the gas on. And yeah. uh, I suppose with the intention of just straight up suffocating uh, Malky. But right. Malky wakes up and realizes what's going on and stumbles over to the heater and turns it off. But then immediately forgets what he did because then he lights up a cigarette. <laughs> and yeah, and and it, and he, you know, he dies because obviously yeah. the gas has been on. Um, yeah. and then, but then the, the interesting thing is that Garbles is like, his life is essentially over at this point because he even like tells Lex, you know, Oh, they think I've killed him. They think I've killed him. And you know, like looking at this, it's like, yeah, he's, he's, his life is, this is the end. Yeah. But he also seems to think that he lives in the mirror universe from Star Trek because at one point he asserts that he's now the leader of the Tongs because he killed. <laughs> yeah. Malky. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. There is that one part I forgot about. <laughs> Maybe he is. I don't know. We we we, we got to wait for the sequel to this movie. Right. Uh, medium sized faces. <laughs> Normal faces. Yeah. Uh, uh, punch it up. Punch it up further. Let's give another one. Um, uh. Slightly larger faces, round faces, moon uh, faces, uh, uh, faces of death. Oh, wait, Russian doll, faces. Russian doll faces. Uh, orange is the new face. <laughs> no, get out. <laughs> That's the movie just about Garbles in prison. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think I think Garbles takes that step that Lex didn't take, and it's almost like Lex when Lex shows up and sees that Garbles. I mean, I think Lex knows that Garbles did it. Yeah. Like even though he doesn't admit it, I think he knows, and I think he's like. Wait, I think I think he does admit it though, didn't he? Say I killed him, I did it, and they're like, oh, I no, thought it looked like an accident. I thought he said the police think I killed him, and and again, this is like Lex's potential future. Like if he had killed Malky and had been successful, this might be where he would end up, right? Yeah, exactly. What I think is really interesting here is that we go from this, you know very adult <laughs> consequences to this scene of Lex suddenly being in a theater with a bunch of kids. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird come around that he's been through all this shit and uh, here he is in a theater with other children. Would anyone like to come up and do a handstand for your Uncle Andy? No. Now, whose birthday is it this week? So what I really like about that scene is like for a second, we see him as a kid. And Mm. I think it's a very conscious decision by uh, Gillies McKinnon that Lex is bigger than all of the other children. Like he stands out so much in the middle. Absolutely. Yeah. But like those kids are all supposed to like are all like the same age as him. Um, But he, you know, he, we get, we get this scene of him going to a movie theater and seeing this silly, I think they're supposed to be the same age as him. I but, don't think that's true. I think they all look like they're about nine, 10 years old and he's 13, Brendan. I don't know. I think they're supposed to be close to the same age, but, or maybe it's just him really pushing to be a child again. So, cause throughout this movie, he, you know, in the beginning of this movie, he's a kid. And he goes through, over the course of this movie, a lot of heavy shit. He goes through a lot of heavy shit. And he's kind of losing his childhood. And and this moment, clearly, is very much like him recapturing uh, some of that and realizing that he's still a kid. No matter what happened, he is still a kid. And this is then further confirmed by at the end of the movie, uh, when we see, you know, we have the animal house, like what happened to everybody. Um, and the last line of the movie, he says, I dreamt I was a man, but I woke up and I was still a boy. 
Yeah. And that's it right there. It's 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 he's still a kid, even though he's been through all this shit and he's trying to remember that. Yeah, he basically says, Yeah, like I was I had a horrible nightmare that I was older and I had uh body odor and yeah. and uh, and hair growing all over the place and I was a man, but then when I woke up, I was still just a child. Yeah. So I mean, does he does he go on to just still be a kid? I mean, can you after all this shit that he's gone through? That's it. It, it. Regardless of what he tries to do, he'll never be the same as he would have been. I mean, anybody going through that sort of trauma is going to be affected by it. Jason, if you're ready for bits and bobs, I think we should take a little bit of a break here. All righty, we can do that. All right, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. Age of Radio. We got bits. We've got bobs. Some people call them bits and bobs. Bit the bobs with Jason McLeod. Go. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, so that uh, the drawings at the beginning were very good, and I thought initially while well, watching it that they were too good, uh, too good for a kid to draw. But then we learned he's an artist, so that's pretty cool. Um, and it was neat watching it again at the beginning of this podcast because I then recognized the stuff he was drawing. I didn't obviously the first time, so that was kind of cool. My first note is this movie looks very old for 1996, but I'm assuming it's the low budget. Low budget, and it's also set in 1968, so yes. you know, maybe you want it to look like that. Uh, I, I enjoyed early on where their their plan, and again, this comes back to, I said it before and I'll say it again, like in the days before easily accessible pornography, Boys had to do whatever they could, and they they had a plan to barge in to see a naked woman at a, in like an art class. Uh, but of course, uh, Lex barges in, and it's a naked guy. It's a naked man in a thong. And I've got a question for you, Jason. Sure. How come you never bought me a skeleton? Well, I looked into it, but the prices were just they were a little, little too rich for my blood, Brendan. Oh. <laughs> I know you love a skeleton, but uh, I just I didn't have enough blood in me to uh, pay for a skeleton. Did you catch the line, something along the lines of graveyard for bumblebees? No. Okay, I wrote that graveyard for bumblebees, and maybe I was intoxicated. Uh, but I think that was an actual line that was said at some point. Huh. Weird. I don't remember that. Um Let's see, what did I have here? Oh, I, I did like, though. So when he goes to the party, uh, Lex, and he, like, goes in and starts playing trumpet for everybody. Yeah. Um, In the background, you can see one of the dudes there, and he is clearly not happy about having to listen to this kid play a trumpet because he's, like, standing there, and he's looking impatient. He looks at his watch. And then when Lex finishes, he gets super over-enthusiastic. Like, ah, what a great job! He's, like, clapping his hands. And that that <laughs> did, made me laugh. Did not notice that. I did notice, though... Um, when they tell their uncle, so Uncle Andrew, who we didn't really talk a lot about, but he's a fun yes. character. Yeah. Um, they kind of mess with him a little bit, but he's also mm -hmm. not like the stereotypical, like, oh, we don't like this guy because he's our new dad thing. But yeah. they kind of make fun of him a little bit because they ma they make him think that Bobby is gay, I think. That was what my, my because so I, I was wondering about that, what they were trying to say. Uh, That's what I thought. Right. So he's gay, and then it was, no, they were just fucking with him. It yeah, was fucking I, Bobby and fucking with the uncle. Yeah, because they're like, we think Bobby is gay. And then the only reason I thought that that might be what they said is because after that, the uncle says to Bobby, like, you know, I know this is very confusing. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I thought, <laughs> oh, okay. 
And then they're laughing their heads off. Yeah, exactly. So as we know, at the party, Bobby is drinking and, and then gets into a fight. And when he wakes up in the morning, I guess he just, he clearly doesn't have any experience with dealing with a hangover because he sits on a bucket out in the yard in the sunshine, which seems to me to be the worst thing you could do to have a hangover to make yourself feel better. Like that's Wait, not... are, we talking, are we talking about Lex? Lex, sorry, yeah, Lex. Yeah, okay. When he's sitting out in that bucket. And then that's when Bobby comes by and gives him the air pistol. So, yeah, um, it's... Sorry about killing your goldfish. Here's an air pistol. Yeah, Bobby being a, an agent of chaos, clearly. Um, um, I like that the the line uh, Joanne gives about the skeleton. She says, Yorick, the complete version. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Nice Shakespeare yeah. reference there. Very nice. Um, so when he goes out and he shoots uh, Malky on the shocker pitch, and of course the whole team starts chasing them down as they jump on a bus. And there's one of those great like moments of a zombie hand on the back of the bus just on the back window when uh, just like all of a sudden the hand and it's like, ah, <laughs> it, it's also very graduate. Yeah. Is it because they're at the back of the bus? That's like kind of the conclusion of the graduate where they're sitting there when everyone's kind of chasing them. <laughs> um, at one point, uh, Charlie offers to buy the picture that Alan drew of his mother. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, weird. Well, I need that for my, uh, for my art credit. And he's like, okay, well I'll give you half now and half when you've already submitted it for your art credit. Yeah. Um, what else we got here? Uh... I do think um, that there's a there's a cool pan shot where after Lex meets with uh, Malky, there's like a, like a cool pan like right out from Lex where he looks very alone in the middle of the shot. Like there's a lot of emptiness around him. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, yeah, he's made a terrible decision. Also accompanying that is the scene where he's seen Bobby killed and returns home and his mother's in a very good mood. Yeah. And that and whole scene where he's just like sitting there knowing what has happened. Oh, man, that scene is rough. It is rough. And then she gets then the bell rings and she goes to the door and he won't get the door and he won't say anything. And, you know, that's the moment when somebody tells her that Bobby's dead. Yeah, we just see his face the whole time. And it actually kind of reminded me, I don't think you've seen this movie, Jason, but it kind of reminded me of the movie Hereditary. I have not seen that movie. Okay, because there's a scene in that movie where the son comes home. Uh, his sister has just been, like, you know, has just died. And he basically just plants himself on the couch because he's so traumatized. And we only see his face the whole time. Like, Tony Collette is going outside the house, yeah. finding out what happened. You hear her scream off in the distance. She comes back in. And we just see him the whole time, and that just reminded me of that. Very nice. Uh, see, at one point when, when they go into the club, Lex has a razor blade in his pocket that somebody gives him, but then he gives it to jo Joanne. Is that her name? Yep. yep. He gives it to Joanne because they don't search the ladies when they go into the club. They don't search the ladies. Just smart, but he doesn't end up using it anyways. Um, yeah, and that club shit goes bad. He's supposed to let them in, I think, like let them in the window, but they're out by the ladies' room window, and he's in the men's room window, which is on the opposite side of the building. Yeah. Uh, when they finally like get away from Malky's game and they gang and they take off, they GTA a couple of bikes and they manage to ride away. Uh, at, le at least they, they're riding away. They almost get them, but then they just give up Yeah, the gang. Uh, and then they ride away laughing. And I really enjoyed the touch of ringing the bell. That was a nice little fuck you. Uh, Jason. So keep going with your bits and bobs. I'm just going to go pee real quick. Okay. Uh, let's see here, folks. Uh, I'll uh, maintain this show while Brendan's gone. You can hear a few more bits and bobs from me. Uh, let's see. Bobby goes nuts and destroys the skeleton. We already talked about that. Um, the art guy, that would be Fabio, really likes Alec Alex's work. And Lex doesn't want to take it because he's a kid. And, you know, he doesn't want to think that he's good. Why would you ever think that you're good? 
I think there's a metaphor in, in Fabio's dad trying to grow grapes in Scotland unsuccessfully for 15 years. I don't know if that's like normal life. He's just like Sisyphus with his stone. Those headbutt, every headbutt in the movie made me laugh because I'm a fucking terrible person. Oh, she, he does finally get to see his naked, um, a, a naked lady at the end of the movie, which is quite nice. Um, and uh, I'm happy for him because they, they waited a long time through that movie and then of course we end with i dreamt i was a man but i woke up and i was still a boy so those are my bits and bobs and we're still waiting for brendan to come back from peeing uh know that i have a little bit of history we can talk about uh, coming up so i'm just going to tease that right now and uh, we're going to go to a commercial so we'll be right back cigarettes do you smoke them maybe you should this ad brought to you by the canadian cigarette council Oh, it looks like Brendan's back, and uh, there he is, looking great, uh, looking stout. He's uh, uh, Brendan, freshly drained, is ready to go. And I finished my bits and bobs, Brendan. But uh, if you're, uh, if, you, if you'd like, I do have a little bit of history we can talk about of this era. Go ahead. So uh, yeah, so number one. Uh, it's not exact, but there were gangs back in the day that went by the name Glenn as part of their name. And the Tongs actually are one of the most famous uh, gangs in Scotland. Um, around about 1961, there was a, a movie uh, starring Christopher Lee called The Terror of the Tongs, which was about a uh, like a criminal gang in Hong Kong. And I'm sure it was a completely sensitive portrayal of Asian people uh, in 1961. <laughs> But apparently a particular gang, which had a different name, uh, went to this went to the theater to see this movie. And there was another gang there and they thought it was cool that this gang was called the Tongs. So the leader of this gang stood up and screamed, uh, uh, Tongs, you bass. And then proceeded to like get into a, a, a brawl with the other uh, gang members in the in the place. And that is the I, I guess is the most commonly heard gang call is Tongs, you bass. And Yabas is not short for bastard. There's some thought that it's like a corruption of an old Gaelic phrase that means to battle. But um, but yeah, it's not, so that's not short. It's not short for Alfie Bass. No, it is not short for Alfie Bass. Alfie Bass is short for himself. Um, <laughs> so the Tongs were a real gang and they existed from 1961 up until around about 2011. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they kind of like were were uh, there was like community policing stuff in that area. And the I guess the Tongs finally went away. But Glasgow itself has been a hotbed of gang activity for many, many years, uh, going back to the Glasgow Razor Gangs in the 20s and 30s, you know, guys with fucking razor blades getting into it, and then having a kind of a reemergence in the 60s because there was a moral panic about gangs at that time. Um, and that was at a time when gangs were very much like we see in this movie. They were, you know, they were a bunch of young people that were like getting into fights and holding territory and just being general narrative wells. But then as the seventies came on more and more of these gangs, I assume they started to grow up and they started to get into like straight up organized crime, drug running and things like that. So uh, things did change in Glasgow, but like even as recently as 2006, I was looking at a list of all the different gangs in Glasgow and there was a fucking lot of them, like hundreds even like depending on what like street you're from, like what gang you were in. And they all have weird Scottish names some of them even are, are sectarian. Some of the bigger ones are like anti-Catholic or anti-Protestant. And I also wanted to mention, too, I have an article here from uh, uh, July 12, 1996, called Razor Fights in the Summer of Love. And it was around the time this movie came out. 
Uh, and uh, in that, uh, Jill McKinnon talks, or Gillies, I guess, or Gillies, whatever, talks talks a little bit about where the um, uh, idea for this movie come around, or where the idea for this movie came around. And he says in the article, it started around 1963. Remembers McKinnon, who co-directed and co-wrote the screenplay. That's when weapons started appearing. By 1970, it was over. All the 60s influence was there: music and flower power in Czechoslovakia. And here in this corner of northern Britain, you had this strange situation. They got rid of a lot of the old tenement housing. Whole communities have been uprooted and dispersed. And that's when the gangs really came into town. They would pour into town from all these new housing estates. There were hundreds of these gangs all over Glasgow. And he talks about like a gang would have a specific look. The mods obviously had an influence on the way these guys dressed. Actually, in this movie, um, uh, Charlie would be considered a mod because he's like a very well-dressed. You know, he's wearing a suit, tie, looking good. Sometimes you would see them adopt a chic, almost effeminate look, wearing clouded, uh, wearing colored scarves and berets, and they'd still be absolutely lethal. You know, like that, that's what this guy grew up around. And that's what he turned, you know, that's those experiences directly informed this movie. So this is like a tradition in Glasgow. And, and you might even like to the point where when you think of the angry Scotsman uh, like stereotype, that's Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Like that's dude from Glasgow. No, that's interesting. Uh, get, getting the historical context of it of the of the movie because, like I said, this was this movie wasn't easy to find out a lot of information on the uh, behind the scenes of. Um, I do know that uh, Gillies or Gillies McKinnon uh, was coming off a pretty disappointing brush with Hollywood just before he made this movie. He directed oh, a wait, movie. Wait, called... wait, wait! Did he direct Cutthroat Island? He did not direct Cutthroat Island. Oh, that was okay. Reginald Harland. Oh, uh, but he did direct uh, a movie called A Simple Twist of Fate, which starred Steve Martin. And it received pretty middling reviews and tanked really hard at the box office. It made like $3 million or something like that. Wow. So it's a pretty big, uh, <laughs> pretty big uh, uh, disaster. Essentially, after that, he was like, I'm just going to do my own thing. I don't want to ha- I don't want to be responsible for like these big Hollywood stars and like 20 million dollar budgets. Mm. So he went and did this thing and, he, you know, he did a couple others and he's never really re- been responsible for any big, huge money makers. But I think he had an OK career. Well, in this movie, obviously made enough of an impact that it uh, was in the heads of the BFI folks when they put it on this list. Yeah. I mean, it just it just makes the grade at 98, but it's mm-hmm. close. Yeah. It's in. Um, that having been said, Jason, I don't have really have any other info. It doesn't go to any award shows. Um, I don't know what it cost. I don't know what it made. I don't think it was overly successful, but I also would assume it didn't cost that much to make. I feel like it did win an award of like best British film at like, I don't know if it was at con or if it was at some something else, maybe British festival or something, but it, it did, you know, it did get a little bit of notice, but obviously it was, was, you know, hard to compete with train spotting when it comes to low down, dirty people doing bad things. Well, that's the thing. It comes out, like I said, within months of that movie. So, I mean, you get compared to it, right? Absolutely. You fly under the radar. Yeah. Um, but I will ask you, because we come to that point, Jason. Yeah. What do you think of Small Faces? I really, really like this movie. This was a really entertaining film. Uh, it was really neat to see this kind of life that you know I, I haven't led. Uh, uh, and it didn't really understand, but, right. but to see, you know, the people growing up in this type of environment and getting like a real pretty look at it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It really kept me going. I thought the pacing was pretty solid. The characters were interesting. Um, and everybody was great. So yeah, I, I don't know why I wouldn't say it's my necessarily my favorite gang movie, but this is definitely one of the better movies we've watched on this list. Yeah. I would say there is definitely more than two movies 
that are worse than this on the list. I don't, I think yeah. 98 is very low. Um, yeah. I mean, I get, I get it in terms of like, it's not like a, like a movie everyone knows. It's not on the tip of everyone's tongue, but I agree. I think this is a very well constructed movie. I think it's a great, like little gritty crime thriller, comedy drama. It's got everything. Yeah. And I, I, and it's got realism. And I'm all for this being on the list because I think it's it's kind of its own little thing. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of unique to everything else. And I would agree. I would much rather watch this movie than The Killing Fields. Although I think you oh, should yeah. watch The Killing Fields. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of The Killing Fields. I think this definitely deserves to be on the list. Me neither. But The Killing Fields, and I, I think I said it in the episode, but I'll say it again, is a movie that, yeah, regardless of how good it is, you should fucking watch it. Because it, it just to understand the history of the world. This too, you might even make that argument to understand what it was like in Glasgow at this time, uh, uh, the kind of life that people led. Like yeah. for those of us who haven't experienced it, it's definitely worth watching. And even if you have, maybe you'll enjoy it. Maybe you'll have fond memories of growing up and stabbing people. So I mean, that's basically my childhood right there. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a lot less Hollywood than The Killing Fields, which is my main problem with it. I mean, we literally watched a TV screen for ten minutes of that movie. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget about that scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is really solid. I'm surprised it's. Not, I'm a little bit surprised it's 98. That seems really low. But it does, yeah. I, I will say yes. So across the board, this is a great little film. Seek it out. But Jason, you know what it's time for, right? I do know what it's time for. It's time to roll that dice. Ooh, doggy. What does that mean, Jason? Tell us. Tell the people. That means, Brendan, we are going to take two dice. And you have the physical dice today because you are where the dice are. We have a green D10 and we have a red D10. We will roll one of each and then we will determine the number upon the movie that we will watch next week. We have something along the lines of 28 or 27 movies left. And it could take us numerous rolls. Last week we got it on one roll. So as Brendan tweaks his nipples with the die, we will find out soon how many movies we will watch. And in fact, I can tell you right now, we will watch one. <laughs> yes, indeed. We will not watch the remainder of the movies next week. That it would be insane. It's a lot to ask. I have a job. You have a job. Exactly. We both have lives. We need to, we need to, you know, be a little bit measured in our uh, abilities to do this. Okay. So I'm going to roll the D10, the 10s D10 first to find out what decade of the list that we're in. Are you ready, Jason? I am ready. All right, here we go. All right, we're in the 20s. Okay. Okay, we don't probably don't have too, too many at this point. We're at 21. 21, Brendan. Long Good Friday. We already watched it. Already watched that great movie. Great movie. Check it out, folks. All right, let's Actually, see. I wonder, could The Long Good Friday be the sequel to this, where Lex grows up to be Bob Hoskins' character? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> All right, Jason, I just rolled again. We're in the 80s. 80s, all right. See what we got. Not in the 90s, so we're not going to do carry on up the Kyra. Not a whole lot of 80s left, but we'll see. 80. Uh, okay. All right, oh. Brendan. Next week, we will be watching Peter Greenaway's 1982 The Draftsman's Contract. Oh, wow. We're going from a movie I know absolutely nothing about to a movie I know absolutely nothing about. Well, we're going to find out next week uh, what this movie is. The Draftsman's Contract. I will tell you that that title is the most boring title I've ever heard. Let's hope it, it doesn't live up to that. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully. All right. 
Well, there you go. We'll talk about that next week. But until then, Jason, they can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And Guntre. You can find us on all the podcast apps, ageofradio.org slash For Screening Country. You can find Jason on Twitter at... Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Stop on by a while. Sit down a spell. Uh, stay a while and listen. Whatever other uh, platitude you can think of. There you go. Perfect. Um, and, uh, you know, Jason will uh, will tell you about all the uh, all the gang related activity he's been into. I've been keeping an eye on the hi-hats and the baseball furies and there are moves being made, sir. And and you often have Lynn uh, Thickpen narrate all your activities, too. Do you not? I, I do. And, and it's actually thanks to our connection to the afterlife. Uh, uh, she lives in uh, a GOP heaven. Uh, that Republican heaven. Yeah, oh, no. it's not good. It's not good for her there. So she's more than happy to take any opportunity to come help me out. Well, I hope Lynn Thigpen makes an appearance on the show, but I really doubt that she will. <laughs> I'm, I'm really hoping she doesn't. <laughs> for her sake. Uh, but on that note, I will say this. Next week, we'll talk about the draftsman's contract. I have never been more unsure of a movie on this show, and I say that having just talked about Small Faces. Uh, but i will say this god save the queen god save the screen and for screening country i'm brendan and i'm jason ciao in the year 25 25 if man is still alive if woman can survive they may find in the year 3535 ain't gonna need to tell the truth tell no lies everything you think do and say is in the pill you took today in the Nobody's gonna look at you In the year 55, 55 Your arms are hanging limp 